so happy you finally got the time yes well i don't really have the time but we <laughs> scheduled it so we'll make the best of it um uh, are you guys in where are you you're, you're in, on the east coast yeah yep. or yeah we're in, in australia long... what? you're in australia right now no you're no you're not in australia that's somebody else <laughs> we're out in new york <laughs> yeah we're on long island okay oh okay just an hour ahead that's right yeah, sorry about that. There's something about the Zoom. Uh, you know, I had a different call scheduled. That seems like it never changes the link. So, you did you think we had a different time schedule? No, I I just tested the link and then it just brought me straight in. I didn't realize it was going to do that. Yeah. 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 Well, it's okay. No worries. I had to. We were having a meeting. Um, yeah, I live on this Zoom way too much but it's convenient you know for business meetings and stuff so uh so who is your friend well so this is so today i have a co-host his name's johnny he's right here what's going on hi how are you hi johnny we're hi. both we're both really Good. we're both really big uh fans of you and your brother and have, we follow all your work so it's really exciting yeah as soon as joe told me that Glad. He was getting Dennis McKenna on here. Glad to hear you. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so um, I don't know if we we didn't really have anything laid out what we were going to talk about. We're just going to talk, right? That's the best way to do it. I think so, yeah. Like I try and have like a Joe Rogan kind of vibe where we're just having a conversation. If yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess we could just start off by – so you are – so Dennis McKenna – is an American... Shall I record, to record this, right? What'd you say? You want me to record this? I'm recording. It's a my podcast. I'm recording it right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know it. if I said that. So, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Never mind. As <laughs> yeah. long as somebody is recording it, that's the important thing. I didn't know if uh, you sent that link or I did. I guess you must have. Yeah, okay. yeah. you have so much going on. I'm sure you don't really... <laughs> Yeah, it's mine. So before we get started, what have you been oh, so busy with? Yeah. Oh, everything. Uh, I am uh, in the middle of trying to produce this book, you know, that came out of the conference that yeah. I did in the spring. So that's taking up a lot of my time. If you haven't seen that, check this out. It's the SPD50.com. Yeah. It's the Brotherhood. So we're now in. It's the Brotherhood of the Screaming no, Abyss. No, this... no, different one. No, no, oh. no. That that's old news. I mean, that's still <laughs> happening. But this is 
this is a new thing. This is a conference that I organized in the in the UK in June. It was called the uh, Ethnopharmacologic Search for Psychoactive Drugs, mm. which is where ESPD comes from. And it was a commemoration or in, uh, not a commemoration, but like in the spirit of a conference by that name that was held 50 years ago in San Francisco, sponsored by the U.S. government of all things, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, sponsored this conference and uh, in San Francisco. And it was an amazing conference, and, uh, but it was private. The only thing that ever came out of it was a publication by the same name. So for a long time, I've wanted to do another conference. They were supposed to have follow-up conferences every 10 years or so. Well, the war on drugs came along and they got, you know, they were embarrassed they ever had anything to do with this. So 50 years since there's been a conference like this, and I decided it was about time to have another one. So we did. We put it on. And, uh, and and then we're publishing a symposium volume from it, uh, along with the original symposium volume. So we're having a two-volume matched set that we're pre-selling. So that's the, there's the plug right there. <laughs> you know, people can pre-order this book, which will be out in January sometime. And if you go to ESPD50.com you find out all about what this is all about and so that is uh, that's what I've been keeping busy with and then I'm also uh, organizing different things going on in Peru uh, mm-hmm. a couple of ayahuasca retreats coming up so so that's going on too um, yeah yeah, so um, let me see. I'll, so I'll, I'll put the link to that up as well. Uh, and if people want to sign up, they're, ha- they're welcome to do so. We've got still got lots of room. Oops, that should be, that should be W uh, Life Sciences. I can't, I'm not a very good type. <laughs> So you're going to send the link and I can just click on it through this app? I've never used Zoom before. Oh, really? Yeah. I like yeah, it. Yeah, you could. And the key part I left off is event. So if you if you click event, if you click that second URL, it'll go right to the registration page. Oh, awesome. So while you're bringing up ayahuasca in Peru, I guess we could talk about that. Um, so you're going there yeah. in January, right? Yes, I'm going there in January uh, for these retreats. I've got two retreats happening back to back. But then I'm also going there Monday for about 10 days for another reason. I'm not related to retreats, but <laughs> just to hang out. That's why I'm so busy. <laughs> well, yeah, sounds not busy. exactly. <laughs> To meet some people, to meet some people, and and move advance my plans for world domination. You know, it's, it's a full time job, man. I yeah, tell you, I'm sure it is. Um, it would be easy, but <laughs> so that's that's what I'm doing, and and uh, this uh, here all. Uh, so yeah, you've never used Zoom. No, I've never used People it before. Like Zoom. It Zoom works. It works. Fantastic, so, I think. It's so much better well, than it, Skype so far. It, 
Yeah, it is better than Skype. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's. I want to just kind of get into it because I don't know how long we're going to have you for. Um, I just want to kind of get into what right, is. Right. Okay. Well, I, I I was just going to put up the screen, but you can oh. look at it later. Oh wow. Yeah. That is awesome. Zoom is awesome. There you go. You can just send links like that. No, it is. And that's great. Um, what? Zoom and you could have um, slides. You could do. You could do presentations on Zoom. Do different things. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm getting into that. Yeah. Um, so like, I've been yeah. doing that. Never mind. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> I want yeah, you to I, No, that. I was just going to say, I've been doing some virtual conferences with it, and it's just, uh, it's easy to use. You can have like 50 people on at the same time. Not a problem. Um, so I like it. Definitely. You know, I like to turn people on to it. But anyway, we're not here to plug somebody else's software. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what it, let, I want you to let, kind of explain what it is that you've been doing your whole life and your work with your brother and stuff to our audience that isn't really so familiar with it. If you could just give okay. a synopsis. What, what is your audience? Millennials. Like, um, I'm, I'm 28, Johnny's 26. Um, okay. We, oh, you're 25. 25, yeah. There you go, he's young and... And uh, we're out here on Long Island. <laughs> we're out on Long Island, and you know, like I, not many people around here that are our age even really know who you are or of your brother's work at all, really. So I, I'm trying to just introduce it, and it's so wow. Okay, know. well, well uh, yeah, at least I know. Uh, yeah, at least at least I know. We're kind of starting at the at the first. You're you're. You're not. You don't have a psychedelic community out there, I guess. No, so, I mean Johnny and I are very into psychedelics, but uh, not so much other people around here. Okay, well, uh, great. You, you have a great opportunity to educate <laughs> yeah, them. Perfect. You know, and so you are familiar with what my brother and I have done. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been working on these plant hallucinogens, plant psychedelics for, well, it depends on when you want to start counting, but really for almost 45 years, you know, and within the academic framework for since 1981, because I went to uh, Peru in 1981 as a graduate student and ended up working on uh, ayahuasca, kind of the ethnobotany, the chemistry, the pharmacology and all of that. But I first went to South America with my brother in 1971, and that's what you know got me into this. Um, so well, he... I was into it before, but I was even more into it. Mm-hmm. So he kind of got. So he was kind it. of the leader. He, yeah, he led me down the primrose path. I mean, it's it's basically that simple. Uh, but I was a willing, I was a willing collaborator, and. Uh, you know, and the books that are really about that are Terence's book, the, the True Hallucinations, and then The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, which I wrote in 2012. Mm. And they really go together. You know, True Hallucinations was written uh, about 1996. And that focuses on our trip to South America and what we were doing there, what we thought we were doing there. And then my, my book... Uh, Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss came out in 2012 mm. uh, and is more of a life memoir of both of us. So it covers our whole lives. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's what they are. <laughs> so what was the first psychedelic you did? The first psychedelic I did uh, was, it depend, well, <laughs> probably LSD. Okay. Probably. You know, the, the first psychedelic. Well, I did some morning glories before that. Yeah. I was, I was, I'm that old, you know, that the morning glory, it came out in the media that the, you can eat these morning glories. They contain LSD-like compounds. So I must have been about 16, 17, no, maybe younger than, actually younger than that. When I read this in, I think it was Time Magazine, you know, and my brother had already left, but he was feeding me information from the West Coast, which is where I wanted to be and where anybody that was into this wanted to be. When I learned about the the morning glories, I immediately went to the garden store and got a bunch of morning glories (laughs) and and ate them and not much happened i mean i got i got a hell of a a upset stomach that was basically what i got out of yeah that was my first real attempt to get high on a psychedelic that was my first real attempt uh but then later in in uh, 1967 which was the you know a landmark year, right? The the summer of love and all that. Yep. I went to Berkeley. Terrence was already in, in Berkeley, uh, nominally going to school. And, and a friend of mine from this town in Colorado where we grew up, we went out there for the summer. And, um, you know, and, and that's a whole story that's recounted in my book. But you know, why my father let us go, I have no idea because... <laughs> Know, he, he knew what was going on. He was totally against it, and yet he let us go. Yeah. So I don't know. So, um, so, Terrence... in, so in the summer of '67, we encountered you know real LSD for the first time, and yeah. that was that was my initiation. Was it groundbreaking? Like, did you just think of the world so differently right after your first time, right off the bat? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah pretty much. I mean, it was not what I expected at all from everything I'd read, it, it really didn't conform to that. You know, I mean, it was, you know, my, uh, my friend and I <clears throat> just encountered this guy on the street, you know, and this was, and, you know, he wanted to sell us some acid and, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, oh, this is really good stuff, man. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> As, of course, you would say. Classic. Yeah. And he sold us what I think was a vitamin C tablet with a little purple dot in the center <laughs> of it. And as it turned out, it was really good stuff. And it was a full dose. And we went up to Tilden Park, which is above Berkeley, a kind of a national little, you know, local park state park i guess and dropped lsd and uh we had a great time but it wasn't this big mystical experience or anything like that it was it was what it was was it was a kind of a regression to uh an ape-like state we became like tarzan of the apes of the jungle you know uh literally swinging off vines and things like that and just really going quite wild you know 
and that was uh, that was wonderful. You know, that was that was great. Not what we expected. No, definitely not. I, so I know, that I... was that was our initiation, and uh, and then shortly after that, uh, in that same summer, um, you know, after the summer ended, I came back to Colorado to start uh, to start high school, essentially. And or to go back to high school, but I had brought some goodies with me, uh, as you might expect. And among those was uh, uh, some DMT. Wow. And Terrence was <clears throat> into DMT uh, at the time, and it was it was quite rare. It was very hard to get. DMT was. And how old but were you guys he, at this time? In the summer of 67, I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. Very young. Yeah. And what, Terrence so my was, brother what, 19? Was, he was 20. 20. Yeah, he was four years ahead of me. Yeah. So we were both really young. Wow. And really naive. And, you know, as people are at that age and, and didn't know what we didn't know. You know, I mean, we were in that state. Thinking we knew a lot, actually not knowing shit, you know, but, but we got through it. But the thing is, he had already discovered DMT. Somehow it had come through him to him a few years before, a couple of years before. And, uh, he told me he thought it was the the ultimate psychedelic. Mm. It was the ultimate metaphysical reality pill or whatever of course it's not a pill yeah. you smoke it but that was the metaphor he used and uh and and so when i came back to colorado i brought some with me i didn't do it when i was in california but i did it shortly after and uh, i had to agree it was kind of an order of magnitude more bizarre more powerful more interesting than even lsd you know so that was really, we had this fascination about DMT. And uh, have either of you ever experienced DMT? Or can you admit that even if you have? Or, I could I admit know. it. I mean, for me and Johnny, we've only experimented with LSD and mushrooms. That's, yeah. That's our limit right there. But I'm, okay. I'm open to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, mushrooms are very close to DMT. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Chemically speaking, psilocybin is converted to psilocin in the body, and it's psilocin that does the trick. It's psilocin that actually gets into the brain, and uh, high doses of mushrooms are not unlike DMT. There's only one atom difference between psilocin, Mm -hmm. the active form of psilocybin, and DMT. So, not surprising, they're similar. Psilocybin, but the difference is that psilocybin lasts a few hours, four or five hours. DMT lasts maybe 20 minutes if you smoke it. If you yeah. And you have to smoke it because it's inactivated in your gut by an enzyme called monoamine oxidase. So you can eat DMT all day and nothing will happen. Because these enzymes in your gut will will uh, protect you, know, will, will, will essentially break it down before it can be absorbed. So ayahuasca is 
the answer to that, ayahuasca is made from two plants, one of which contains DMT, and the other one contains yeah, yeah, uh, uh, carbolates, these alkaloids that inhibit monoamine oxidase. So mm -hmm. I just watched the so Netflix documentary. I just watched okay, the Netflix good, documentary good. all on it. Yep. All so right. when well, when you, would you, you say your homework? Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely a little bit. Yeah. Like when would you say with psychedelics, like this is a turning point of this is something I really want to make something out of, you know? Or or when did it turn from like I'm just gonna do this to have fun to I'm gonna do this to kind of research, you know, find myself or it. you know. See who I am, see what this means, you know. That probably came when when we discovered DMT, hmm. you know, which we didn't do it together the first time, but we were in the process and that when we discovered DMT and and we both agreed, yeah, this is more than a drug. This yeah. is or at least it it was the most interesting thing that we'd stumbled across in our lives, which was, which were, we were still very young, but, uh, you know, it was like, not, this is the most interesting drug. This is the most interesting thing, yeah. you know, that we've stumbled across. And so it's important to look at it. And we, we did, we decided this is really a mystery and, and, uh, it's worth looking into. And, that was what led us to go to South America in 1971, because this, you know, uh, I mean, DMT is amazing when you smoke it, but it's very short, 10, 15 minutes. So all you can really get out of that is a kind of sense of astonishment. It's mm -hmm. like, what the hell happened? You know, but it all goes by so quickly you don't get a lot of content out of it. So we thought, well, if we could find an orally active form of DMT, then it would last longer and we could spend more time in that dimension or whatever it was. And we very much thought of it as a dimension, uh, a place. It seemed like that. But we could spend more time there and maybe understand better what was going on. Well, okay, so this is 19... 69 1970 the chemistry the, the the pharmacology of ayahuasca was not really uh well understood at that time it was not understood that it was a combination of dmt and beta carbolates because the importance of these admixture plants hadn't really been uh researched yet or published about anyway we didn't know about them so we heard about another drug that contained DMT that was orally active. We stumbled on a Harvard Botanical Museum leaflet paper by Schultes, uh, in which the title was Verola as an Orally Active Hallucinogen. And in that paper, Schultes described how an informant of his had told him about this preparation that they made from Verola. Verola is a genus of trees in the nutmeg family whose sap contains high amounts of DMT and bimethoxy DMT. In other parts of the Amazon, this, this tree is used to prepare snuffs by different tribes. So they 
powder it, they dry it down, they powder it, they mix it with ashes, and they snuff it. So they get around this inactivation by MAO that way, but it's still short-acting. So we learned about this tribe that had this orally active preparation, which they called Ukuhe, and it was the Witoto tribe. And when we learned about that, we thought, aha, this is, this is it. This, this is what we have to go get, right? Yeah. And um, this is the secret, you know, and we very much thought of it as the secret, uh, you know, uh, but so we made, uh, we made the decision that we were going to go to La Chirera, which I was going to ask about that. The, I was going to tell you to tell the yeah, La Chirera that, story. <laughs> Because I remember... Up at La Chirera. Yeah. Keep going, keep going. Uh, we ended up there simply because that was where the Witoto were. There was nothing more... It was the ancestral home of the Witoto. Uh, Schultes had written this paper and said this is where he collected it. This, you know, so we thought, okay, we go to La Chirera. And, uh, and we went there in search of Ukuhe. And, you know, if you read True Hallucinations or The Brotherhood, this is all described in, in great detail, much, much better than I'm saying it here, you know. But uh, we got there, and which was a whole adventure in itself, and we had encountered uh, an anthropologist uh, on the way in, a Colombian anthropologist, who was working with the Witoto. And he was at the river, at the village just down river from, from La Terrera or, or, you know, on another river. But anyway, and he was there and, and we had actually been told to expect to, to meet this guy. And, uh, and he was actually appalled to see us, you know, <laughs> if it, as anybody would, because it's like, who are these people? Yeah. I mean, there's no, you can't, you can't email them. You can't call ahead. Yeah. You just show up, you know. All proper was, English speaking. You know, we were pretty freaky looking. I mean, this is 1971. And yeah. we had beards down to our waist and bells. And, you know, we were a colorful bunch. We, uh, <laughs> we were far more colorful than the Toto. And, <laughs> and so these freaks show up and they, and they you know, this, this anthropologist is appalled. And then we start saying, well, okay, we're, we're here to find Ukuhe. <laughs> and then he got really involved. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't talk about this. You cannot go into this village and start talking about this. Oh because this is, you know, this is the, the main secret of the shamans. And, you know, even the rest of the Watoto are not supposed to know about this. Yeah. So, you, you know, they'll kill you if you start talking about Ukuhe. Right. You know, I mean, in fact, that was a little exaggerated. Dr. Collier was a little excitable, you know, and but we basically said, OK, whatever, Doc, you know, we'll be cool. Uh, <laughs> and we went on. And, and when we got to La Chirera, it was a it was a mission village, um, Capuchin mission. And uh they had cleared uh, the forest around this around this little village for maybe 200 acres. They brought in these cattle, so they brought in these Cebu cattle, 
And out of every cow pie in the pasture grew these big, beautiful clusters of psilocybin mushrooms, of Celesti cubensis. And uh, we knew what they were because we'd done our homework. Yeah. We had no experience with them you know, prior, prior to that, except one very brief encounter on the way into La Chirera, another town, but very low dose had been pleasant, but not particularly, uh, uh, you know, outrageous or, or anything. It was just a light dose. Wow. Hold on. So just before, got to lunch, before you keep going, that's your first experience with mushrooms right there? That was our first experience. Wow. Yeah. wow. So I didn't, I did not know yeah. that. So with the whole La Trera, I remember um, Terrence used to talk about it as like the experiment at La Trera. Um, so I remember either you or him saying like you went there and you wanted to basically bring up the philosopher's stone, right? Kind of just bring it into existence. And um, you guys said, it yes, didn't happen, right, but you but, brought but, something out of it, you know? Like, what, what well, did happen? <laughs> yeah, and, and when we, you know, uh, when we got there, uh, you're right, but you're getting a little ahead of, ahead of me. Oh. At this. So we thought that this Ukuhe was, you know, was the great mystery, was the holy grail that we were looking at, yeah, meanwhile. looking for. And we thought, that because of Dr. Collier's caution and all that, we bring this up with people. We'll just kind of let it see if we can turn it up. In the meantime, here are all these beautiful mushrooms around us, which we had no idea of the potency of them, of their, you know, and actually they turned out to be the real mystery. But yeah. we had this, uh, we had this very, casual attitude toward them it was like okay we can take these these are fun these are recreational drug we can entertain ourselves with these <laughs> whole much longer arc but we started eating these mushrooms and pretty much the mushrooms became the focus you know it became clear that we that the mushrooms were the real mystery, mm -hmm. <laughs> which we hadn't counted on, you know. I and mean, we we had gone there looking for the uh, for the perfect orally active form of DMT, and it turns out that is what mushrooms are. Yeah. If you think about it, they are DMT. They're orally active. They don't require an MAO inhibitor. They're non toxic, and because of that, you know, they don't. People don't purge with them particularly. Mm -hmm. Often they don't purge. You can eat a, you can eat big doses, you know, yeah. and they go right through your body very, very easily. So we started doing that on a pretty regular basis, like daily, Ooh. and uh, actually putting them in our food because there was the whole lot else to eat, <laughs> and. We got into some fairly peculiar places with that. You know, we were in the in this state all the time, and uh, and then it was, you know, we felt like we were in touch with this this entity, mm. whether it was extraterrestrials speaking to us telepathically through the mushrooms, or whether it was the mushrooms themselves. But we had this this feeling that we were in, in touch with a non-human entity intelligence of some kind that had something to tell us yeah. you know it really wanted us to 
message. In fact, we even called it the teacher. Wow. And uh, the message that it had was that uh, it suggested a kind of bioengineering project mm-hmm. to us. It had to do with this this tone, this sound that we could hear inside our heads on high doses of mushrooms. And it's something you could also hear on DMT quite reliably, sound effect on DMT. And we found that if we could uh, imitate this sound, we could actually imitate the sound or try to imitate it with the voice. Very hard to do because it was kind of like a, buzzing, popping, yeah. electrically. Yep. But if you kept at it, you'd find your voice would just lock onto it eventually, and it would just then come pouring out of you in a way that uh, was actually hard to stop. And just inc- a feeling of incredible energy coming from the voice out of wherever this thing, place originates. And so the the mushroom or the teacher talking through the mushroom was telling us if you use this sound energy to direct it at a mushroom and various things will happen, you know, and, and I don't want to get into the details of that because we'll be here all night. It's hard to explain, Yeah, but you have to read the book. It's unpacked in great detail, but long story short, it was saying you can create a visible, this goes to your, your analogy about the philosopher's stone, right? right? The philosopher's stone is, uh, it, it, it is, it, it's a standing term in some ways for the ultimate artifact in a certain way. And that's what the mushrooms was telling us. You can actually turn yourselves into the ultimate artifact. You can, externalize your consciousness in such a way that you can actually see it, Mm. that you can see it and be it at the same time. If you could, you're shaking your head. You're not. (laughs) I I don't know. Like if, if you can externalize and see your consciousness, then what is it that's seeing the consciousness? You know, well, we didn't worry. Detail. Yeah, they were far enough. <laughs> right? I mean, this is, you know, you're a person, you're not stoned, presumably right now, you're grounded in this reality, you know, and you're saying, this is just batshit crazy, what you're talking about. <laughs> I agree with you. It is. It was a time, too, but we didn't have, but we were immersed in it. You know, we were utterly convinced that this was, you know, this was being wrapped down from some, some superior intelligence. And it was basically instructions how to build uh, ourselves into a UFO by directing sound at our own DNA and causing the DNA to become super conductively charged, generate a standing waveform that would be, essentially your mind externalized and you know i mean i mean that's the that's the thumbnail description mm. of it doesn't make any sense the more detailed description 
either. But but at the time, made perfect sense. Yeah. And, and we were utterly, we were doing this. And we predicted certain things were going to happen if we succeeded in this. Well, because what we had predicted, you know, couldn't possibly happen, it would have had to basically violate every physical yeah. law in the universe, <laughs> which we were totally ready to do. Yeah. We were, that's what we were shooting for. That didn't happen, but other spectacular things did, which was basically that, you know, we both went, to kind of off track you know some would say it was a psychosis uh for about two weeks like a simultaneous psychosis uh other people would say it was a shamanic initiation or something like that i like that that's a better yeah, speed that's a cleaner it. yeah uh, <laughs> yeah other people would say it was an alien encounter you know, and maybe it was. I'm kind of leaning toward that lately. I gave a talk at the uh, Breaking Convention uh, conference in in the UK in June. I was there, and I, I presented this idea for the first time about... I don't usually talk about experimental entrepreneurial that much in public, but I... I did, and, I, and the title of my talk was, you know, the experimental entrepreneurial. Psychotic break, uh, shamanic initiation, or alien encounter. Yeah. And in that talk, I made the case that it was an alien encounter, and and because uh, if you look at the uh, you know the classic abduction um, you know literature in UFO abduction literature, it had. Many of the of the characteristics are, were similar to descriptions of these abductions. You know, I mean, and you think of abduction as, you know, you're taken somewhere into a ship or something. Often they're not like that. In fact, they are just experiments. They are just experiences that are so far beyond or that are so hard to fit into what you think you know mm. that they present as alien. And my, my brother famously said, uh, you know, we are involved in a symbiotic relationship with something that has disguised itself as an alien invasion so as not to alarm us. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean... Wow much more bizarre than an alien invasion, but it has a lot of these characteristics. You know, the idea that, uh, uh, you know, you, you feel, this is, this is shared by many people who have these experiences, but you feel, number one, you feel a compulsion. You know, you feel a calling. Mm -hmm. uh, or something is driving you to you know, get in your car and go drive to this mountain or whatever, and something's going to happen. And for us, it was drop everything you're doing, throw your careers away, go to South America, look for this thing, you know, that you think is important, that isn't really part of it. But it was, you know, it was a deception. So then we're there, right? And then we start encountering this intelligence, which is downloading all this unbelievable stuff as though it's like, you know, this is not far out. This is just 
matter of, this is this is the truth and we were not in, in a position to be critical about it at all we were just accepting it we assumed that this was the truth it's explaining what to do and uh, and then we we do this thing and we have an effect which is this prolonged sort of dissociation from reality and so that's another characteristic of alien abductions you know lost time right mm -hmm. lost time very much part of it that was part of it and then an exchange of information is given something is given often they show you a book or some something uh and this happens in shamanism too you know maria sabina the mushroom shaman famously talks about how you know, in her initiatory experiences, she was given a silver book or she was shown this silver book with secrets in it. She, she couldn't take it back from her from there, but she got the information. And we were shown information too. We were shown uh, mostly, uh, well, a couple of things. One was uh, Terence's uh, time wave. It takes two weeks of being in this altered state in at La Chirera. And and you know, he continued to elaborate that idea that time wave zero is, you know, a model of of the structure of time. Mm -hmm. You know, now I am I am a big non believer in, in time wave zero. I think it's I think it I think it's an interesting idea, but it failed its main test, you know. Uh which was December 21st, 2012, it, it, you know, the space-time continuum mm -hmm. did not collapse as we, we predicted based on the, on the time wave. Yeah. But that was a piece of information that was given. The other thing that was given, in a way, sort of given, was uh, not, um, not from another dimension at all, a very simple, mundane thing, which was the spores of the mushroom which we collected, we took them back and we tried to grow them and we succeeded in growing them. And, and the reason that we wanted to grow them initially was to put this technology out so that people could do that and confirm or not that we were crazy, you know, or that there was some reality to these dimensions. So we experimented with it. We developed a simple method of, of growing mushrooms, put that out there, wrote the psilocybin magic mushroom grower's guide. And pretty soon a lot of people were growing mushrooms in their basement. So, you know, it's like, you know, all these nerdy 10th graders, right, doing this for their science project. It's like, oh, what's, what's Johnny doing in the basement? <laughs> you don't want to know what Johnny's doing in the basement. Something about growing mushrooms. Oh, that's <laughs> nice, dear. Oh, that's a good experiment. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. So actually, it is an alien invasion. It happened very quietly. It, it invaded every basement of every every nerd in North America, you know, and uh, so very successful. Not a shot was fired. And now, actually, mushrooms are easy to get. And, yeah. and, for, and many, many people have had these experiences and confirmed that yeah, it's it's it gets pretty weird out there mm -hmm. around the five gram 
level, you know, uh, it, I mean, mushrooms get extremely, you know, they're not light. They, they, they should be respected as much yeah. as ayahuasca or LSD as any of these, yeah. you know, so that was an element of it. And then often with the alien invasion, there is an, there is an element of the absurd, you know, and the absurdity ran through this whole experience you know i mean i became convinced at one time i announced that this whole thing we were in a in a play that was being written by james joyce you know who is the irish bard that wrote ulysses and uh uh finnegan's wake you know and terence was totally obsessed with james joyce yeah uh, you know, and then Terrence had a UFO encounter. He had an actual encounter with a physical UFO, which appeared to be physical as far as he can tell. <clears throat> he was the only one that saw it. So I can't confirm it. I think it was probably, I, I believe he did see it. But the funny thing about it was that when it got close, it turned out to be an exact replica of the UFO that was reported by George Adamski in the late 50s, which was clearly a fake photograph of a of a lamb, <laughs> you know, or a Hoover vacuum or some damn thing, you know. But when he when it got close enough, this is what it was. So it's like there's the absurd, you know. It's like there's the message. This is this is really a joke. You're seeing it, it's there, it's physical, but it's a pun, yep. you know, and uh, and it's like a subtext. The subtext is that, you know, reality is not what you think it is, mm. and uh, it, hell, maybe it is being written by James Joyce, I mean, I don't know, but so, anyway, um, that was our experience. Yeah. And, for, uh, for me, I uh, so one time I'll talk about one of my um, experiences. I I took two tabs of LSD, and it totally just changed everything for me. I I think I got stuck in a loop. I guess it's called where you just think where the same thing is happening over and over again. And like, I just picture myself walking in the, in the room, sitting down, walking in the room, sitting down over and over again. And I felt like I was stuck in something. And I had this feeling of, of absolutely knowing a hundred percent that reality is a simulation. And I just felt this feeling of absolutely Mm -hmm. knowing that it's true. And that's, that's the thing that freaked me out the most. I had a panic attack. I just got through it. And then, I don't know. I two tabs for me was just too much for me at that time. I just really freaked out. Johnny was with me too. Yeah. Um I think like you were kind of teetering on it and as you said before like the secret. It's like when you're in that state, you feel like you know something. We had a glitch. Oh. Can you hear a little bit better now? Can you, you hear? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like you yeah. were saying before yeah. like the secret. Um it's like when you're in that state, um you feel like you know something. You feel like maybe you're being talked to by it or, you know, you feel like you're you're actually in tune with something. And when you're out no. of it, you can't communicate it, you yeah. know? So it's almost like, you know, people say when you're drunk, you know, um, you can't remember something until you get drunk again and then you remember it. Yeah. You know, that's like a comparison. So 
Um, we all right. feel like we're in tune with this secret that could almost like break reality. It's like, you know, what is it? Is it like the mm-hmm. law of attraction that somehow like you're able to make reality in a way? Um, when you're on a psychedelic, that's what it feels like, like you're in tune with that secret. Um, do you think you've gotten as close as you're going to get to understanding what that is? Or are you still on the journey of chasing whatever that is, you know? And can you even get it? Yeah. Is there, you know, are we all just still looking for a way to be able to communicate it to the people that aren't in that state, you know? Yeah, I think so. I I think that, uh, yeah, you definitely often have the feeling that you're being given esoteric knowledge. You're Mm -hmm. given some sort of, uh, some sort of secret, some sort of special knowledge. Uh, and sometimes you are, I mean, the question, it's always like, okay, so see how it looks in the morning, you know, after you're done, how it looks a few days, but sometimes the insights do stand up. And, uh, I think that, I think that that's what, that's one of the big things that psychedelics do. And that's why they're valuable. They let you step out of your reference frame for a temporary time. You know, we're all in some kind of a reference frame that we call reality, and it lets us navigate. And it's similar to everybody else's reality, mm-hmm. but theirs is unique and yours yep. is unique, but there's commonalities. But this lets you kind of step away from that and look at it from a different perspective. Uh, or sometimes I tell people, I say, it's like, it brings the background forward mm. and the, what's normally in the, in the front, in the foreground is mm-hmm. put in the background and you notice things about your reality mm-hmm. that you normally do not notice. And it's not that they're not there all the time. It's just a program not to notice. It changes your, your gating mechanisms, right? And as a survival mechanism, the brain takes information in from from the external environment, processes it, and turns it into essentially a hallucination or a story or a movie, whatever you want to call it, that makes sense, yeah. you know. And then that's the reality that you live. You're living your own hallucination, mm-hmm. which is not reality. It's mm-hmm. a model of yep. reality that your brain constructs, and that's a big difference. You know, it's not we cannot know what reality is because we have to experience everything through this sensory interface, and then so we take information in through this sensory interface. Much of what the sensory interface does is filter things out. You know, if everything were to come through you'd just be confused it would be a blooming buzzing confusion Mm -hmm. as joyce calls it it's very selective about what it lets in so that it and then it takes those those elements and knits it together into a story that makes sense the you know the the movie that you're writing and living at the same time Mm -hmm. you know you're the producer director and the star of your own movie yeah and that's how you live and uh and so the psychedelics can temporarily disrupt that in a certain way or they may they may open it open the door a little bit wider to some of these things that are normally filtered out 
And there's a very uh, interesting writer uh, that talks about this. Uh, he writes about psilocybin. If, if he, have you anything by Simon Powell? Simon Powell? No, I haven't heard of him. Oh, he, uh, yeah, very, very good writer. He writes, oh. written several books. One, this is the latest one. It's called the, called the Magic Mushroom Explorer. And uh, I love he writes about these states because, uh, well, because it agrees with me and, <laughs> and my own experience. It's the thing. And he talks about how uh, this idea that, uh, you know, the, the altered state is uh, another lens through which you can view reality and you can see aspects of, of what, you're, what you're observing that are normally filtered out, basically, or, or that you look at them in a certain way. And uh, so he makes the case, and I think I agree with it, that in some ways that the altered state what you can see on on mushrooms or on any of these psychedelics how how reality presents itself to you they're they're kind of scientific instruments in some way i mean if you look at the world through a telescope or a microscope it looks very different like you know and you don't real mm -hmm. i mean it's absolutely real you just see it from a different perspective you know so I think psychedelics are like that, and they open up different ways of looking at at phenomena, you know. And uh, you know, the proof of the pudding in this is that a lot of interesting uh, uh, scientific discoveries have come out of that, like uh, like you know, Carrie Mullis's revelation about the the molecular, you know, about the uh, uh, DNA replication and so on that let him invent the the uh, polymerase chain reaction, uh, and for which he got the Nobel Prize. He was totally uh, not. I mean, he was totally open about the fact that he got those insights from LSD and, mm -hmm. and uh, Watson uh, and Crick. Uh, uh, Crick eventually also, although he denied it all his life, but eventually he did admit it. I think on his deathbed or when he was getting close, he said, yeah, it was LSD that gave me that yeah. insight about the, the helical structure of uh, DNA. Mm. So, so, you know, that's the perception about reality that stands up and it, 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 uh, it's easy to dismiss what you experience the next day or whatever, if you don't think about it, but some things do stand up. So I think they're learning tools is what they are. They're ways to learn about ourselves and the world and that, inter that interaction that we have with the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I think they're tremendously useful that way. Why do you think that they're not more widely known to be something that can be beneficial and it's more known to be as a drug that, kids just use to go out and, and to see party. to see things to party to go yeah. drink like why is it not more known or why hasn't the government you know looked into it i know there's a lot of studies now that are just saying like how beneficial they are and stuff but they're still going to be illegal. Yeah, it's still taboo yeah it's yeah. yeah taboo is the word yeah 
there's there's still taboo. Yeah, there's still taboo in a lot of places. Or right, I mean, now that we have the internet, and now that we have these very good scientific studies are coming out. Most of which have to do with a therapeutic effect, right? Mm -hmm. Which is fine. A therapeutic effect is great if it can help with depression or PTSD. I mean, who would not be for that? But I feel that that's only a part of the application of of psychedelics. They really are learning tools. And uh, I think that's where the promise of them is. And if they happen to cure uh, these mental disorders, then that's great, and that 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 legitimizes them in the eyes of, you know, the the medical establishment and so on. That gives them a certain a certain legitimacy. Uh, but you're right. To the vast majority of people, number one, they don't know anything about mm-hmm. them, and they, they're they've scared never of them. Heard of them, and they're scary. Yeah, they don't they don't want to know. I mean, mm-hmm. most people exist in a state of willful denial about just about everything, you know, because it's uncomfortable. I mean, look at the, look at the prevalence of uh, the climate change denial, for example. Yeah. You know, I mean, many, because it's uncomfortable because basically you're talking about the survival of the species and, it's just the thing that everyone should be thinking about, but there are so many forces that want you to think about anything but that. So, and I think it's always been true. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, psychedelic knowledge is is esoteric knowledge, you know, and it always has been regarded as that. It's been guarded in these traditions. It's the secret. It's mm-hmm. the forbidden. It's the the stuff you're not supposed to know, you know, if you want to be a good Christian and mm-hmm. all that, you know, it's not for those people, you yeah. know. Yeah. And if you cross the line into that, then <laughs> you know, you must be a bad person. I mean, that that's the propaganda. It's all just a way of discouraging, you know, people from thinking for themselves. And it's a way of discouraging um you know people from being curious and and you know i I think this is a function of most organized religions and other types of institutions you know but religion we can we can uh we can stand here and uh, you know we can sit here and bash religion all day it's fun but (laughs) it is i think inimical to the to the um evolution of consciousness right because religion is all about talking about these transcendent things the divine and all this but the last thing they want you to do is directly experience experience the divine Mm -hmm. right i mean their job will they do that will tell you what it's supposed to think what you're supposed to think and religions are all about telling you what you're supposed to think. Yeah, wants right? to protect and, their and, propaganda. Uh, I basically. call them, you know, yeah, essentially propaganda. They're not about spiritual development. They're mm. about behavioral control. They're basically bludgeons to keep people in line. And, uh, you know, and any seriously curious person finds that very uncomfortable, you know, but, but that's it. And, and you know, many people. This is this is why psychedelics are dangerous. You know, 
it's not that they're dangerous as drugs, you know, toxicologically, they're quite mm-hmm. safe. They're, you know, they're not dangerous that way. My brother was fond of saying they're dangerous because they give you funny ideas, you know, and funny ideas are inherently dangerous, <laughs> you know, because they make you think, ah, maybe it's not what I've been told all my life. Maybe there's something else going on here. Yeah, they don't want you thinking they make that. You ask, yeah, they yeah. make you ask uncomfortable questions about just about everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and religions are uh you know a huge century old uh, very powerful global disinformation machines mm-hmm. i think propaganda machines yeah. in a certain way and you they have certain premises and it's like you know the powers that be say well you know you have to have faith you know just accept it this is the doctrine just you must have faith you know, and if you're not, if you don't have faith, if you question the belief, then then you're a bad person. You know, the beauty of psychedelics is it does not require that you have faith. In fact, faith is an impediment. Mm-hmm. It requires that you have courage. Take the leap. That's all. Yep. Jump, yeah. jump into the abyss. Courage. To feather bed, right? Yeah, exactly. To yeah. sit down, drink the cup, smoke the pipe, whatever it is, and then decide for yourself. <laughs> decide your fate. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, we lost That's what it means, you know. And, and there's plenty of people. In, yeah, there's lots of people in the psychedelic world who are happy to tell you what it's supposed to mean. They're just as bad as the priests and the, and the religious people. I say. You don't have to tell people what to mean. They can think for themselves. They can have the experience. Mm -hmm. Sort it out. You can suggest how, uh, you know, they might think about it, how they might interpret it or whatever. But it's up to Dennis McKenna, Terrence McKenna, or any of these other people to tell you this is what it means, (laughs) you know. Because anybody that tells you this is what it means, they don't know what it means. The very fact that they can say that. I mean, I'm, you know, I've been taking psychedelics for 45 years. I still don't know what it means. Yeah. And if you haven't you know, gotten it by all now. All I know is there's a lot to know, you know. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that's something that, that psychedelics will remind us of in a certain way. Remind us of how little we really know about yeah. anything yeah. you know science is very can be very arrogant you know and scientists have this problem they well you know we pretty much have it figured out we know how things work and so on no you only know a tiny slice of uh, how things work mm-hmm. you know so humility is something that uh, scientists could use a lot more of to just just kind of acknowledge the limitations of knowledge. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know who the thought, the quote has been attributed to various people. I, I heard the other day Arthur Eddington or JBS Haldane, but, you know, saying the world is not only stranger than you suppose, it's stranger than you can I suppose. suppose. Yeah. I've heard and that. And I think that's true. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I think that's a good thing. That means we have a lot to learn, and if you like to learn, then 
you know, the universe is a playground for learning in a sense. And that's, that's how I try and approach it. And I think that's why psychedelics are good for people to take because they stimulate curiosity. Mm. Do you think it's good for all people? Is there anyone who shouldn't be taking them? Yeah, probably. (laughs) There are are people who shouldn't take them. You know, if you're, uh, if you're not well integrated, if you're schizophrenic or well integrated, (laughs) mental illness like that, where you have a pretty loose grasp on reality and maybe something biochemical going on that, that contributes to that, then mm-hmm. they can push you into a place where it's hard to get it back from. Yeah. And so people should be cautious. But I think that most people, I mean, that that's the other thing about psychedelics. Everybody talks about set and setting, yeah. right? And those are really important variables. Setting is the setting, how you do it, where you do it. Very different if you do it in, you know, in the jungle at night or whatever, or if you do it at a rock concert. Both might produce fantastic psychedelic experiences, but they're different settings. And then set is more important. Set is what you bring to it. That's everything you are, everything you've learned, everything you, your expectations, your intention, your your knowledge, your you know, set is your mindset essentially. Uh, that's kind of, you know, in this intense one-on-one encounter with a substance or a plant or a spirit, whatever, however it presents to you, you're the, you're one side of that equation. So your set is what, what do you bring to the table, right? The other side of the table is the teacher in whatever form it might be, the substance and the dose. Those are the other two variables. What is the substance? What is the dose? And how do those things affect set and and even setting to a certain extent? You know, um, the, one of this the, is why it always yeah sorry good to yeah. it's, was, it's just good to yeah go ahead <laughs> we keep interrupting each other it's because we're on a delay so yeah <laughs> yeah what I was gonna say yeah. was because you're talking about dosage. Uh, one of Terence's most famous, I guess, quotes or things that he said was the five dried grams in a dark room and you'll meet your maker. Um, that's actually my favorite way to take mushrooms is by myself in my room on like a Sunday and just learn, you know. But I feel like a lot of mm-hmm. people, I don't, I mean, I it's great to take them when you go to like a uh, an event, as a concert or something. But I think what they're really meant for is for you to learn by yourself, in my opinion, just talk to the mushroom. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, mushrooms uh, don't lend themselves to this, lend themselves to taking it on, on the solo, in a solo way. LSD too, uh, you know, these things can be used that way, and that's fine. Uh, they can be used in a group setting as well, but then you're you know, you're choosing to do it in a different way, probably a lower dose makes sense because you're going to have to deal with other actual human entities that, you know, may or may not be in the same place that you're in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ayahuasca 
um, is almost always taken in a group setting. Uh, and I think it's, that's a good way to take it, usually with a, a shaman, a curandero. So, you know, it's a, it's a ritual vessel uh, uh, in which uh, people can have that experience, you know. But, and people say, you know, I, I am somebody, I don't, uh, you know, because it is a, a one-on-one encounter, you know, it, it's a unique individual experience that only you can have, right? Everyone's experience is unique in the same way that, you know, nobody can have sex for you, you know, and have the experience. Nobody can have a birth for you or death for you. These are things you have to do. Nobody else can do them. And psychedelics are like that. And so I'm not somebody who says, well, you must do it this way. If you do it that way, that's not legitimate. You'll figure it out. You'll figure out what's legitimate. So for you to say, I like to take it alone by myself, if that works for you, go forth and do it my son you know <laughs> whatever works for you i have your blessing for you <laughs> yeah absolutely don't need a blessing because uh you know these things have always been um approached in an experimental way even traditionally i mean you know we now say well like with ayahuasca it's this it's this very highly structured ritual uh, context and and you know with the ikaros and and the singing and the and the fumigating and all that and that's that's great that's a traditional uh, ritual context but you know how do you think they got there they got there by experimenting and shamans are their their psychonauts or their uh, maybe a kinder word is uh, their experimental ethnopharmacologists let's put it that way yeah. you know they discovered how to use these things by mucking around with them and finding out what works you know just like alex shulgan made 467 derivatives of mescaline and tested every one of them on himself you know now you know i mean that's the true scientific method <laughs> you know uh, he, he, yeah so hmm. so this this is a process that we've been involved with for millennia ever since we started mucking around with plants you know we've been involved in this huge uncontrolled experiment and you know we have learned about these plants and how to use them through time and we're still learning you know they still have lots to teach us are, are you a believer in you know, the... which is one of the few <laughs> we keep interrupting each other i'm yeah. sorry but um i wanted to know okay. if you're a believer of the um the ape theory of how if we came from apes and they ate mushrooms and then that's how they got there to us the consciousness i guess yeah i i am i i don't think it's quite that simple but i think that yeah i think that uh, early uh, encounters uh, with mushrooms, probably mushrooms in the savanna environments, probably did have a, a big influence on the evolution of con- 
mission on the evolution of the imagination, essentially. Mm -hmm. Imagination, uh, you know, dissect the word, right? Image in nation. You're making images. I think that mushrooms were a teaching tool that taught us how to make internal, uh, uh, that linked sound and visual input to meaning, in a sense, to symbols. Symbols are uh, usually visually uh, apprehended things that they're significant because they have meaning. Well, they don't have inherent meaning. We're putting the meaning onto that. But I think that mushrooms help people make that connection. And, and it taught people how to, how to use their imagination, essentially. It taught people, it was like, you have an imagination. Here's what it is. Here's what you can do with it. You know, you can imagine something in your head. You can form a picture of it. Maybe it's an arrowhead. Wow, that's a new kind of arrowhead. Mm -hmm. You go out and make it. Suddenly you have more success in hunting. Or today we might say, well, you know, you can imagine the blueprint for, uh, you know, a starship or a computer. You can construct that. So, you know, but it was the image in your head that got you there. So, yeah, I do think that they are cognitive learning tools and they they pushed uh, the evolution of cognition forward. And and I, I really think that they have had. Did you guys happen to run across this? Here's a mind blower for you. Mm -hmm. uh, just saw this come across my desk a couple of days ago. The discovery of this these teeth in Germany. No. Did you see that? No. What is okay. it? Okay. Lucy is uh, the oldest hominid that we know so far. Mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, I think I know what he's talking about. Uh, is it that? Anthro uh, what used to be called Homo habilis. And, and Lucy has been traced to about 4 million years. They found skeletons in Africa 4 million years old of this kind of hominid. Well, you know, 4 million old, old skeleton, there's not a whole lot left when yeah. you. When you but, but this group found exactly those kind of teeth traceable to that kind of uh hominid oh yeah it's australopithecus bocii i think is the current name maybe next week it'll be another day they're yeah. always changing these but they found these teeth in germany 10 million years mm -hmm. old so that that completely overturns everything we think we know about human evolution where these hominids originated it was always thought they originated in africa and then migrated into europe and other places maybe they were in europe first and got to ask you know it's just really overturned a lot of uh what we thought we understood about the, these evolutionary um you know uh branches and uh you know, and, and I love it when this kind of stuff comes up because, again, this is like a slap in the face. Yep. You know, just a restart you, button. To religion. Scientists, you know so much, you don't know shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. Because science can be a kind of religion, too. So, you know. Um, when, it, when it comes to religion, like, that's why I, I can't really 
follow Christianity because I was raised Christian, but like based on Christianity, we've been around for what like five thousand years. That's it. Yeah. Like that, I just can't see that being the case. Well, I think most even most Christians these days, unless they're really, you know, willfully, uh, you know, in a place of, you know, I don't confuse me with facts. My mind is made up. I think even most Christians say, realize that's kind of a fairy story, right? I mean, it's, it wasn't like that, but the whole thing is kind of a fairy story. Um, Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, people, I mean, I was raised Catholic. I was raised in all those, you know, delusional places, but I got, and then you start to question and then pretty soon, and then you've crossed the line into, you know, you, uh, you abandoned the faith. Yeah, you've uh, gone too far. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, You wake up and this is not what's encouraged. They don't want people to wake up. Do you... So I'll switch gears a little bit. Well, I'm going to have to go, oh, I think. Okay, yeah. Oh, wow, we're over, yeah. Sorry about that. Can we try to... No, I'm sorry, too. I wish yeah. we could have more time, and we can we can circle back on this, but uh, tonight I have other things I got to do, so I have to go. But we covered a lot of territory here. Oh, yeah. Totally yeah. understandable. No problem. Um, it was such a pleasure having you on. Um, I would love to meet you if you're ever in New York. I'd love to just meet you in person. be an honor. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, I do come there occasionally. Um, I've got nothing scheduled right now, but I, I do things at uh, Alchemist Kitchen sometimes, oh, cool. if you know that much, yeah. through Evolver and... Uh, uh, I go up to uh, Cosm. Have you ever been up there? Yeah, Alex Gray. I've never been there, but Alex I used to Gray's live over place. there. Yep. Oh, you did? Okay. Well, I do. I've done a couple workshops there, so I I get out there maybe twice a year. Mm. All right, maybe. So, our paths will cross. Yeah, I. I uh, yeah, uh, you'll know. You'll probably know. I'll put it out on Twitter, whatever. If you would plug the, the book, ESPD50.com, and also the retreats, I would appreciate it. Definitely. Put that up on your website. Or let people know they can uh, order the book and go to these retreats if they like. Oh, definitely. Um, those are the links you sent me, right? My, yes. Yeah. If you look at those, you'll see what it's all about. Uh, do you have this podcast? Is it up at a regular place all the time? Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's on iTunes and SoundCloud. Yep. Okay. Okay. I'll send you. But you you don't have a. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, send me the links. I can put it up there. For sure. I'll send you it once I get it done. I'll edit it tomorrow and then I'll send it to you. Okay. Yeah. No hurry on this end. (laughs) All right, Dennis. Thank you so much. When you get to it. Okay. Yeah. A pleasure, gentlemen. All Um, right. Have a great night. Good night. You too. Keep asking questions. Always. <laughs> Forever curious. Yeah. All all the best. Okay. Bye bye. Man, it's so crazy how fast it goes, dude. You have We're still uh, on. Alright, so we're still on. We uh, uh man. Yo, I'm I at, can't believe that was an hour and twenty. I, I feel like we've been sitting here for ten minutes. Oh he he's <laughs> he's so amazing. Uh, right. It's so crazy how fast time goes. 
and how many unanswered questions there are. And especially with somebody amazing like Dennis, like how much um, information you want to extract yeah. in a hour of time or an hour and a half of time and how it just it doesn't it doesn't happen. You learn so much and we talk about so much and kind of brainstorm, but mm-hmm. you can't get all of the juice out of the fruit. No. You know? You cannot get you can't even get close. You could have ten hours straight with this guy and he will just keep going. Like there's mm-hmm. no way to get through all of his information that he has. It's just incredible. That was I think that was my the best interview that we've had on. Like yeah, for really... sure. Like I he just is so personable and like it's the shroom. Like Anyone who shrooms, you feel you could feel mm-hmm. that, like, and you could just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking because it's like, hey, we know something that a lot of them don't. <laughs> it's like, what do we what do we do about it? <laughs> you just talk. We're like, how do we tell everyone? Yeah. But you, it's that saying where it's like, anyone who's done it, it doesn't need to be said, and anyone yeah, who like hasn't, unspeakable, it can't be said. You can't explain it. Uh, I wanted to ask him though, like I was gonna say, um, if he thinks that you can get to the place where he's at now without. Any yeah, like if kind of like, like what Rogan was saying with me- the Kundalini. His friend was getting there through the Kundalini yoga. That's what he said. Yeah, um, yeah. I wanted to ask him if he's ever done yoga, mm-hmm. um, if he's ever had experiences like that with yoga, yeah. um, if he thinks you know things happen for a reason. Is um, that other essence that we encounter on psychedelics is that involved in our plan? and things happening for a reason, yeah. you know, like those kinds of questions, I think we'll probably have him on again. Definitely. You know, I yeah. think he'll be on again and we'll he, talk. He was so down. Like he, he went an hour and 25 minutes. He went over by 30 minutes. Yeah. It's great. It's like mind blowing shit. Oh, awesome dude. All right. I guess I'll end it here. Like we'll get out of here. You want to get, Oh, you That's ate Dennis. it already, right? Yeah, that was Dennis. That's Dennis. Yeah. Our, our good friend Dennis. Hopefully, more to come. Definitely, man. Thank you for coming on. I mean, I'm sure you loved it too, though. This concludes <laughs> this episode of the weekly sit down. Beautiful. <laughs>